Hey everyone, I too want to welcome you to this online service of the Hershey Free Church. My name is George Davis. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of 1 Kings. We're going to be looking in 1 Kings this morning as we continue our journey through the Old Testament entitled, Love This Book. Now, as some of you know, I grew up in Texas, and and there's a, a saying associated with that state that goes something like this, everything is bigger in Texas. Maybe you've heard that, and to be honest with you, in so many ways, that's a cliche. But when it comes to high school football, there really is a lot of truth to that. In fact, the reality is this, high school football is just really big in Texas. To show you what I mean, let me show you this. This is the Allen High School football stadium in suburban Dallas. It seats over 18,000 people, and it was built a few years ago at a cost of $60 million. That's right, $60 million. Now, as you can imagine, when this stadium opened, it, it generated a lot of media attention, particularly in Texas. In fact, it even generated conversation among other large public school districts, hey, we need to do something like that. We've got to build that if they're building that. So this amazing stadium drew a lot of attention in the opening days and months. But then about a week, or excuse me, a year after it opened, something unexpected happened. And that was this. Structural problems begin to emerge. And after an extensive engineering study, uh, they became, what became clear was this, that due to certain mistakes made in the construction process in this amazing stadium, there were significant cracks in the foundation. In fact, that would ultimately lead to this facility being closed for over 15 months, and it had to be repaired at a cost of over $10 million. Now, even, even as that happened in this impressive building project, The truth is, something similar, I think, can happen in our lives. There can can be cracks in the foundation, cracks in the core of who we are, cracks in our soul. And, And while this may not be obvious at first, I think they can become bigger and more noticeable over time. For instance, just think for a moment about what what we've gone through now for almost a year as we've gone through this COVID experience. This experience has done certain things to us, but I think for many, it has also revealed certain things about us. For instance, maybe you would say over the last year, I've just been reminded of the importance of certain relationships and the need to invest in them. Or maybe you would say, you know what, over the last year, it's really become clear to me that I'm I'm, I'm maybe less flexible than I thought. And you know, at times when you've gotten frustrated, when when you've gotten tired and you've kind of realized how you respond to uncertainty, you would acknowledge, you know, over the last year, there there are just certain cracks in my foundation that have been revealed, that have been exposed. As I said, we're continuing our journey through the Old Testament, and this, this morning we're coming to the reign of King Solomon. And his, you know, his life is the story of amazing achievement and accomplishment. But his life is also the story of a person in which their lives revealed cracks in the foundation. So we're going to look at his story this morning, and I think there are going to be lessons for us to learn along the way. So let's now come to 1 Kings. And as as we come to 1 Kings, this, this book begins right at the conclusion of King David's reign, who was Solomon's father. 
And, and very quickly, we see Solomon, Solomon established as king. And in some ways, in the opening chapters of 1 Kings, Solomon seems poised to build on his father's strengths and to, to lead Israel in, even into a greater and more meaningful season of thriving as a nation. As he begins his reign, we read this at the early stages of 1 Kings 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David. So he's going to build on on the work of his father, King David. And and it seems like he's headed in the right direction. In fact, in that same chapter, God comes to Solomon in a dream and basically says, okay, what would you like me to give you? Now imagine you had a dream like that. What would would your answer be? How would you respond? Well, here's, here's what Solomon asked for. He said, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Now, as as we talked before, you know, in the Bible, this concept of heart really refers to the core of who we are. Your heart refers to your outlook, to, to the things that drive you, to what you value and treasure. Your heart gets to the core of your mind, your will, and emotions. And here Solomon is praying, you know, he's praying for a discerning heart. You can also translate that as a listening heart. He is praying for wisdom in fulfilling his duties. And and notice he is praying for this really on behalf of his people so that, that he can govern well, so that he can govern wisely. And as, as the story continues, God, God is pleased with this request, and God grants him his wish. And, and immediately then the, the author gives us an example of this, this amazing wisdom at work in a very concrete situation, because he tells a story of two women coming to the king, and they both claim to be the mother of this baby. So what is Solomon going to do? How is he going to discern which woman is actually the true mother of this child? So he hears both of their stories, and then finally he says, well, bring me a sword. So I, you know what? I know how we're going to settle this. I'm just going to cut the child in half, and each of you will get a half. And at that point, one woman responds, and you get the feeling she, she wails out, no, 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 don't do that. Give him to the other mother. And at that point, Solomon says, Obviously, you're the true mother because only the true mother would have responded that way. And you look at that and go, wow, that that was an amazing moment of brilliance and insight. And not surprisingly, you know, as this account continues, uh, here's what we're told about Solomon. We get to chapter 4. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. So we're continuing, we're, you know, we're constantly being told of his wisdom and his brilliance and things just seem to be moving in a positive direction. And with this wisdom, he sets out to develop the country further. And among other things, this involves a number of building projects. In fact, even if you visit Israel to this day, as you visit certain sites, you can see examples, remains of different building projects that were part of Solomon's development of the infrastructure of Israel. We see reference to these building projects in 1 Kings. Perhaps the most famous building project was the construction of the temple. 
And you'll see multiple chapters in this section that provide really detail to what that temple looks like and what the furnishings of the uh, temple look like. And finally, after seven years of construction, we see the the dedication of this amazing building. And and in chapter 8, Solomon addresses the crowd and he prays a prayer of dedication. And among other things, you know, he, he makes this, I think, profound theological acknowledgement. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. So, uh, you know, the story continues and we learn more about his exploits and his achievements. We get to chapter 10. And we are told this, you know, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. Now look at that. Isn't that an amazing statement to make? I mean, wouldn't that be an amazing epitaph? Wouldn't you love to have that on your tombstone, that you were greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth? I mean, how do you top that? But, you know, as it turns out, this isn't where the story ends. Because, you know, you you read a statement like this, and this is right at the moment where we kind of expect that, and they all lived happily ever after moment. But that's not what we get in in the rest of chapter 10 and chapter 11. Right right when we expect this amazing ending to Solomon's life, as we get to chapter 10 and chapter 11, all of it, all of it seems to come crashing down. And here's what we read. In some ways, here's the true epitaph of his life. In chapter 11, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Now, the question is, how how did we get here, right? I mean, how how do you go from that discerning heart, that amazing wisdom that he's given in chapter 3 to he's turning his heart away from God in chapter 11 and experiencing God's anger? I mean, how do you get get from chapter 3 to chapter 11? Did did his life simply go off track right at the end? I mean, was was there a dramatic downfall in the final chapter? Here's what I think when we look carefully, the, the author is actually saying. I think the author is actually telling us this. I know there were amazing things that this guy did. Amazing achievements, amazing accomplishment, accomplishments. And I know you may be surprised at how it ends. But I think he's also telling us, I want you to know that all along the way, despite those amazing accomplishments, There were cracks in the foundation. There were cracks in the foundation. And and if you look carefully, the author has actually given given us clues to that earlier in the narrative. Let, Let me just give you a couple of examples. So we go back to that statement made right at the right at the beginning of Solomon's reign. And let me give you the rest of the verse from 1 Kings 3 3. Yes, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father, David, except, and this is very clear in the original Hebrew, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense 
high places. Now, in in the Old Testament, the high places is a term used in reference to places of worship. And it, it's usually and, and generally associated with places related to Canaanite worship. And it's reminiscent of how the Canaanites worshipped their gods. Now, at this point in the narrative, there, there's no clear indication that Solomon was actually worshiping other gods. In fact, in the next paragraph, he is clearly worshiping Yahweh at the high place in Gibeon. Nonetheless, here's, here's what I think the, the author is saying from the very start of Solomon's life. He is saying from the very beginning, Solomon was making choices, even in how he worshiped, that would move him in the wrong direction. Let me, let me give you another example of that. Remember I told you there's a lot of... A lot of uh, description of the temple and how the temple is built, this amazing building project that Solomon does. But right in the middle of all of that description of the temple, we, we read this. He had spent seven years building it, that is the temple. It took Solomon 13 years, however, to complete the construction of his palace. Now, now once again, the underlying Hebrew is very clear that there's, there's an implied criticism being made. Yes, he did this amazing temple, but he did that in seven years. He actually took 13 years to build his own palace. And do you get the implication? What what was the real focus here? What was the real priority? Ultimately, once again, I think the, the author is giving us clues that all along the way, even in the midst of these great accomplishments and achievements, Solomon Solomon is just making decisions and choices that are actually moving him in the wrong direction. Even here, I think decisions and choices that are moving him in the direction of of consolidating wealth and consolidating power. Now, these are are just two examples. And I I think actually if we took longer, we could work through the, the text even further and show additional places where the author is showing us, look, I think there are cracks in the foundation. I think there are cracks in the foundation. And then finally, we get to chapters 10 and 11. And and really at this point, the author becomes more direct, more clear in showing the outcomes of the choices that Solomon has made. He shows us what ultimately happens in in Solomon's life. Now, you may recall earlier in the series, uh, we were talking about Deuteronomy, and I said, you know, as you read the history of Israel, books like Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, understand that underlying all of that material, that, that in, in a real sense, the book of Deuteronomy is running in the background. Because the book of Deuteronomy was kind of the, the core document of the nation. And, and so the kings are evaluated in light of, are we really keeping to this relationship that God has established? And when we get to 1 Kings 10 and 11, this becomes a clear place where it's evident, I think, that Deuteronomy is running in the background. Because you see, Deuteronomy had specific direction given as to how a king should reign. And you find this in Deuteronomy 17. And among other things, Deuteronomy says there's certain things that a king should avoid. So if you go to Deuteronomy 17, you'll see that that God commanded the king not to do certain things, specifically Don't accumulate large numbers of horses. Don't build up a powerful army. Don't accumulate uh, large quantities of silver and gold. 
and don't take many wives. And there are various reasons for those stipulations. But when you get to 1 Kings 10 and 11, it becomes very clear. You know what? This, this is exactly what Solomon has done. In his own way, Solomon has violated all of these expectations of the king of Israel. Why? Because over the course of his life, he's been making decisions, choices that have moved him in a wrong direction. Over the course of his life, there, were, there have been cracks in, in the foundation. And by the end of his life, it, it just all comes crashing down. And I think, I think for us here, there's, there's a, a life principle that we need to pay attention to. And I think you can describe it this way. That, that, that simple principle is this. We shape our choices, <laughs> then our choices shape us. We shape our choices, but ultimately over time, our choices then shape us. I mean, remember at the beginning of his life, God gives this man incredible wisdom, incredible insight. But, but over the course of his life, he continues in different ways to make bad choices. Over the course of his life, we see evidence of cracks in the foundation. And by the end of his life, his, his life and his heart have been shaped in a totally different direction. You know, I, I remember when I uh, started my PhD, I made friends with, with people that were in the same program. And, uh, you know, we got to know each other. We went through the program together. Uh, but as we were coming Toward the end of our work, one of my friends ended up finishing his PhD about eight months earlier than I did. And I remember as, you know, as we got to that point, it's like, well, how did he get there and I'm still here, right? How did I, what happened? How did I get here? And ultimately, in looking back, I had to be honest and say, well, you know what? I got here and he's over there. Because there were, there were certain decisions and, and choices and patterns that he made, that he developed, that, that I didn't make, right? Certain patterns in terms of self-discipline or kind of how to, how to work through elements of the project. It, just a bit more focus. And, and those little decisions and those patterns all along the way meant that we kind of ended up in different places. You see, I, I wasn't fully aware of it at the time, but I was, <laughs> I was making decisions and then over time, those decisions were shaping me. Uh, maybe, maybe you've had a similar situation. I mean, have you ever had a situation in life where you kind of, you kind of just you hit a moment one day and you go, "How did I get here?" Particularly if it's a place I, you know, I really didn't want to be. How did I get here in this relationship? How did I get here in my job? Now, in some of those situations, we can look back and, and it's due to circumstances beyond our control. But in many cases, if we're honest with ourselves, we have, to, we have to reckon with the fact, you know what, I got here because of decisions that I made along the way. I got here because of patterns that became established in my life. And in some ways, I think that's true in, in the life of Solomon. You see, we, we shape our choices. We shape our decisions, then over time, they shape us. And so I think, in, in a real sense, the author is, is speaking to us, even as he tells the story of Solomon. And he's saying, look, I want you to look at your life. 
I I want you to see how your decisions shape you over time. And with that in mind, make sure you pay attention to any developing cracks in the foundation. In fact, I think as you you look at Solomon's life, um, there are a couple of warning signs we need to pay attention to. Let me just highlight two of them. I think these, these are warning signs Uh, you know, that cracks may be developing at the core of who we are. And those warning signs are these. First of all, valuing the proficiency of my abilities more than the posture of my heart. Valuing the proficiency of my abilities more than the posture of my heart. You know, as you read these chapters, there is no question that Solomon was an individual of amazing talent and ability. A man of amazing organizational skill. He kind of built out the infrastructure of Israel. A man with the kind of unique gift of wisdom. And among other things, right, he, he uses that wisdom to become one of the greatest builders in ancient history. Yet what seems to be missing in all of that, I think, is, is a posture of humility, a posture of just submission, a posture of true acknowledgement of who God is. Um, For instance, let's just remember what we looked at last week, right? Do you remember how David brought the ark into Jerusalem? Remember, he leads the procession into Jerusalem as the ark of the covenant comes into the community. And as he does so, he wears just the simple clothes of a priest. It's an act of humility. It's an act of surrender. It's an acknowledgement that, yes, I am the king of Israel. However, I'm ultimately a worshiper of God, and I'm acknowledging that. I'm I'm leading in humility as an acknowledgement of who God is. He wanted to live his life in response to God, but I don't really think you see that same posture, that same posture of heart in the the life of Solomon. You you never see him kind of doing the things that David did as, as acts of humility. For instance, he, he does build the temple, and yet if you look carefully at the statements he makes during the dedication, seven different times in chapter 8, he talks about what I've done. I've built you this magnificent temple. I've built the house that now houses the Ark of the Covenant. And it's, at the deepest level, it, it's, not, it's not a posture of humility. Rather, it's a focus on his own proficiency. And that's a warning sign that there are cracks in our foundation. Along, as we think of that, just for a moment, kind of do this gut check with me. You know, I think uh, given where we're at, it is natural for all of us to say, I'm just ready for this to be over. I'm ready for things to, I want my life to get back to normal. I'm excited. Slowly they're rolling out this vaccine. So maybe over the next few months, we're going to see changes. We're looking forward to additional changes in here in the life of our church. And, and, you know, all of that is natural and appropriate. But here's where I think we have to be careful. And this is just true in my own life. I'm not, not sure how relevant this is to you, but let me just tell you what I am noticing. When, I kind of, when I'm honest with myself, the truth is this. I think some of that desire for things just to go back the way they were, some of that desire is fueled by desire for me to get my control back. Right? At times I realize I want to get back to the place where I can rely more on my strength, my abilities, that my own comfort zone, my, my own proficiency. 
And at times I've, I've really had to wrestle with, maybe I'm focused more on my proficiency than I am the posture of my heart. So I have to remind myself, instead of saying, you know what, God, I just want to go back to what's comfortable. God, I, I want to engage you with openness. I want to be open to you in this moment. For instance, maybe, you know, maybe this has been a season for you where one of the challenges of the season is this. You, you spent more time in certain relationships, more time with your family, or you have had, to, had different time with your family. It's just looked very differently. And I think for some of us, that's been great. It's been, it's been life-giving. But for others of us, maybe for you, there, there are just some relational dynamics that have come to the surface. Some problems that have just become more apparent because you're having to spend more time together. Maybe you find yourself saying, you know what, I just, I just want to go back to the way things were. I was comfortable there. I was, I was more comfortable. I was more proficient not spending as much time with my family, not spending as much time with my kids. But this is where we need to pay attention carefully. Because maybe we're more focused on that which is comfortable. Maybe we're more focused on the proficiency of our abilities than the posture of our hearts. And I think that's a warning sign of a potential crack in the foundation. So what if I took a different approach? What if, what if, what if I said, you know, okay, God, I, this has been challenging and we've got these family dynamics that have bubbled to the surface and, and I don't like it. I was more comfortable in the old way of doing things, but, but I think there are things you want us to learn here. So how do we work through that? How can we pay attention to that? How can I learn to interact with these family members differently? What does that look like? And to come just with a sense of openness and humility. And if you don't know where to start in some of those relational issues, just know we as your church family, we want want to walk with you. And we've got resources available. So please reach out if you find yourself saying, okay, I want to be open to God. I want to have a posture of humility and learning in this moment, but I don't know where to start. We'd love to have that conversation with you. So one of the warning signs here is just valuing valuing the proficiency of my abilities more than the posture of my heart. Very quickly, just a second warning sign, and I think it's this, knowing things about God without engaging him. You know, it's interesting when you read Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple, it's deeply rich theologically. It really is deeply rich theologically. And among other things, he acknowledges that God is a God who forgives. And he calls out these different moments when as the country moves forward, they're going to need to ask for God's forgiveness. But even though though he talks eloquently about God's forgiveness, we never actually see him asking for God's forgiveness. I mean, even when God comes to him and reminds him of the dangers of idolatry, you know, there's no acknowledgement that, hey, maybe I've been making some wrong choices. God, will you forgive me? Well, let me be open to what I've done wrong and to your grace and your mercy. By contrast, go, once, go back once again to, you know, David bringing the ark into Jerusalem. I mean, he messes up. He experiences God's holiness and someone dies. But then in dramatic fashion, he is reminded that God is pursuing him, that God is God of grace and blessing and mercy and deliverance. 
So at that point, he continues to engage God. It's not just that he knows stuff about God. He engages him. He says, look, I, I know God wants me to be in this relationship. So what does obedience look like? What does it look like for, for me to respond well in light of his initiative in my life? So he, you know, he, he makes sure that the ark is carried in by the priest and he offers sacrifices along the way. He's not simply knowing things about God. He is embracing God. He is engaging God in that moment. Solomon, however, seems content simply to know things about God. And these are warning signs. These are warning signs that at the core of who we are, there are cracks in the foundation. Cracks in the foundation that can lead to unhealthy decisions. Cracks in the foundation that over time will shape our lives in a very negative direction. So I think the author wants us to see this. He wants us to see that our, you know, that we shape our decisions. <laughs> but then over time, our, our decisions, our choices, our priorities shape us. So pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to those cracks that may de- be developing at the core of who we are. Now, I realize in talking about this, this can seem heavy, it can seem weighty, even particularly in a pandemic when we're already tired and worn down, and it can also lead to really some unhealthy introspection, and, and, and that's not where I want to leave you. Instead, I want to leave you with this. I think the best way to guard our hearts, the best way to avoid developing cracks in the foundation is simply pursuing the one who can change our hearts, who can change us from the inside out. So I want to leave you with this invitation from Christ. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We need that right now, don't we? Some of us can just so resonate with that invitation right now. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's an invitation to pursue Christ at the core of who we are. Not simply to pursue him, but take seriously his way of life. I know this is an unusual phrase that is used here, this image of yoke, and I think it works in different ways. But it's also interesting to note that in in Jewish thought, um, the image of a yoke could be used in reference to someone's teaching. So when Jesus talks about taking his yoke, I think among other things, he's saying, Take me seriously. Take my teaching seriously. Take my way of life seriously. And when you do, you will discover that it is life-giving. So how do we prevent cracks in the foundation? We pursue the one who can change us from the inside out. And I would encourage you, even as we start a new week, uh, just to, you know, even as we've been thinking, maybe this is a good time just to come before God and say, hey, God, in the midst of all we're going through, if there, if there are cracks <laughs> that I need to be attuned to, will you, just, will you just start exposing them to me? And not in a way that uh, you know, ultimately beats us up, but, Father, in a way that draws me to the reality that I can come to you because... <laughs> In Christ, I will find rest. Father, make me aware of any choices, decisions, cracks in the foundation that are moving me in the wrong direction. I just encourage you to be open to that. 
And as you do, to recognize there really is one who wants to give us rest, even in the midst of all we're going through. There is one who wants to shape our lives and our heart in a life-giving way. So with that in mind, let's pray. Gracious God, uh, we've come to the story of Solomon, which in so many ways is so impressive. There's so much achievement and accomplishment in his life. And yet when we listen carefully to the text, when we look carefully at his life, there's just evidence that there really were cracks in the foundation along the way. Father, I pray that we would just we'd recognize sometimes these cracks may seem unimportant or they're easy to avoid, and yet would, would, we, would we recognize that they can lead us in some very unhealthy directions, that even now the, the choices we are making will over time shape us and shape the direction of our lives and shape who we are. So with that in mind, I pray that if there, there's some things we need to be attuned to, that you would just, your spirit even now, would just bring them to the surface of our minds. But I pray that we would hear these, not in a way that simply weighs us down, but in a way that draws us back to this amazing invitation to come to Christ as the one who gives life and rest, as the one who can transform us from the inside out. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I want to thank you for joining us. And now as we start a new week, you take seriously this truth that we shape our decisions and over time our decisions shape us. But will you embrace that truth in such a way that it draws you to the one who can shape your life and your heart in a life-giving direction? Amen.